one is not born, but rather becomes a woman. No biological, psychological, or economic fate determines the figure that the human female presents in society. It is civilization as a whole that produces this creature, intermediate between male and eunuch, which is described as feminine. Simone de Beauvoir Good day and hello to all. I'm your host, Dolkar, and this is your favorite podcast, Her Voice, Ladies in History, and it's a pleasure to spend some time with you today. Like all episodes, I would like to start off this podcast through a land acknowledgement. I would like to acknowledge that the land I'm occupying is the unceded territory of the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people. Today, we will be delving into a very celebrated figure. She is the leader of the first wave of feminism, a staunch supporter of female empowerment, and one of the greatest Western feminist icons of all time, Miss Simone de Beauvoir. Many of you may be familiar with the name, or know Beauvoir from her book, The Second Sex, but by the end of this podcast, everyone will be familiar with her life, her works, and her legacy. Beginnings of Beauvoir Let's begin with the short biography on Beauvoir. Simone de Beauvoir was born on January 9, 1908, in the 6th arrondissement of Paris, France, and passed away on April 14, 1986, in her home city. Beauvoir was born into a world of fine arts and distinguished men and women. Her early childhood was controlled through strict rules of conduct and behavior. Beauvoir's family were not Parisians, but were still from reputable, posh homes. Her father was from a land-owning family, whilst her mother came from a family of government workers and bankers. Beauvoir's dear friend, lover, and fellow academic, Jean-Paul Sartre, had a great influence on her political and philosophical views. Their love story is quite beautiful, as they met at the Sorbonne, where both were studying for an exam in philosophy. Beauvoir ranked second, and Sartre ranked first in the exam. Beauvoir had a polyamorous relationship with Sartre until his death, and both companies enjoyed sexual affairs with men and women. Through their relationship, it is said that Beauvoir really came to cherish emotional honesty. In 1943, Beauvoir debuted into the academic world with She Came to Stay, a novel about two sisters who have a menage a trois and explores the belief that humans are fundamentally responsible for themselves. In 1949, Beauvoir released her best-known literature, Strongest Contribution to Society, and the novel we will later discuss, The Second Sex. Beauvoir is also an accomplished philosopher, speaker, writer, and activist. Major Works of Beauvoir Beauvoir has written dozens of essays, novels, short stories, and philosophical articles. Beauvoir has published four autobiographies for herself, such as The Blood of Others, All Men Are Mortals, Les Belles Images, and The Woman Destroyed, which I would assume would be very insightful and reflective of her life's works and accomplishments. I highly recommend reading these books to analyze for yourself what kind of an activist and philosopher Beauvoir was. I have a couple of controversial statements prepared for later in the show, which may be considered to be biased or harsh by some of you, so I urge you to find your own voice by conducting your own research. With that being said, I also hope that you take into consideration the information I share here today. As previously mentioned, Beauvoir is best known for her novel, The Second Sex which aims to liberate women and educate society by highlighting that gender norms and roles were constructed through and by society. Women are not biologically or intrinsically inferior, but that the male-dominated society has created rules and beliefs that enforce unrealistic and unfair expectations of women. That is what Simone de Beauvoir was trying to explain to her readers through the second sex.
Now, on to my critique of the second sex in depth, and specifically analysis of chapter 10, Women's Situation and Character. The second sex by many is considered to be a feminist bible and one that accurately and fiercely challenges the societal and cultural norms that limit, confine, and impede the functionalities of women. In the book, Beauvoir assesses the supposed biological restrictions placed on women and analyzes the entire life of women from childhood to motherhood to old age and how a woman is made to feel inferior and forced to suppress their knowledge and abilities to cater to a society that places men on a pedestal. The second sex is rebuttal to and embedded in Western traditions of philosophy and existentialism. The first half of the book, Beauvoir highlights the weakness of the argument on the universalism of man, and the second half she provides a more progressive distinction between sex and gender, which inspired and provided motivation for later feminist, gender, and queer theories. Beauvoir states that in the male-dominated universe, women are made to feel like second-class citizens, hence the second sex. Beauvoir emphasizes that there is indeed a sexual difference between man and woman, but men's roles, actions, and entire framework have been manipulated to situate them as the absolute. Chapter 10 of The Second Sex is titled Women's Situation and Character. It is a remarkable and well-written chapter. It accurately depicts how a woman's situation and character is molded by society. In it, Beauvoir discusses how a woman's lack of morality, lack of intelligence, pettiness, shyness, and mediocrity are all things that have resulted from the subordination of women in a male universe. There is no genetic code that defers the capabilities and strengths of men and women, but rather that women are given these attributes by society made only for men. They are made to accept these meek, passive roles and feel fulfilled by them. Beauvoir remarks how women and other oppressed groups, such as racialized minorities, are made to feel like big children, who remain docile to the male universe as long as they accept their inferiority. In the previous chapter, Beauvoir criticized the double standards of prostitutes and their customers, proving herself to be very sex positive. She draws out those double standards again in chapter 10, and re-emphasizes that prostitutes were viewed as dirty, but the men who used them and created the demand for prostitution were not defaced because of their sexual relations. Again, it is only women who are affected. However, I will say that Beauvoir's perspectives, although mostly accurate, are still relatively narrow. Case in point, her argument that women should have their own religion. Why should women have to leave their current religion? Why can't it be men who make space for women to coexist peacefully and respectfully? Why must it be women again who have to make the sacrifice? The answer to equality cannot be for each woman to detach from spaces and beliefs that they belong to, but rather to alter the framework of limitations, such as religion, so that it does not glorify the man. Also, Beauvoir is making a hasty generalization when she says that Judaism, Christianity, and Islam are simply male-dominated. That is probably a very offensive and untrue statement to most. I cannot speak on behalf of the Abrahamic religions, but I can say that these are certainly not the only religions that exist, and the fact that Beauvoir only listed these three is a weakness on her part. Whether it was selected so to strengthen her argument, or whether it was selected so because of her ignorance. To only take these religions into account, to make such a grand claim as women need to create their own religion, is flawed. I was raised a Buddhist, and Buddhism does not see gender. Buddha himself was a man, yes, but there was no sense of manhood or toxic masculinity or holy worship that was attached to his being a man. In Buddhism, there are a plethora of female deities and high-ranking nuns who enjoy the same levels of power and prestige as men. 
Therefore, I think that this part of Beauvoir's argument is invalid. Beauvoir states that women are no fault for their subordination and that some, such as upper-class women, actually accept and fiercely protect their subordination because it ultimately protects their wealth and standing. This is very insightful and true because Beauvoir notes the nuances between class and sex. Women are unfortunately not united and not all the same because of their sex, race, sexuality, religion, etc., and they all have impacts on their feminism. The fact that Beauvoir noted a fraction of this is great because she acknowledges that some women benefit off of this subordination more so than others. I agree with most of the statements that Beauvoir has written in this chapter, including that feminine sensitivity is part myth and part theater. However, I must refute it by also highlighting that there is truth in this statement. Sensitivity is not a sign of weakness. Liking pretty things doesn't make a woman subservient to men. A passive woman can still be a feminist woman. The idea of what a true feminist should look like, according to Beauvoir, is extremely rigid and outdated. Women do not have to have short hair, wear pants, and be extremely angry 24-7 to be staunch feminists. Feminism is not about refusing to behave the way men want us to, as Beauvoir here is making it out to be. Feminism is being able to be any kind of woman and not judging or degrading other women. To dislike or demean a fellow woman for embodying stereotypical notions of womanhood is not the brand of feminism we will support today. Although most reflections and analogies in the second sex are extremely accurate and well stated, this is certainly not. Nonetheless, this chapter is a wonderful piece on how a woman's situation and characters molded and fitted in a way that complements and heightens men's power. It is also a great example of how progressive she was, but also how complicated her opinion could be. Beauvoir's Contribution to the Feminist Movement The quote I opened this podcast with is an extremely famous quote, and one that sparked the debate on social constructivism. The second wave of feminism worked to create a distinction between sex and gender, and Beauvoir's work was used to release women from their presumed biological subordination. The interesting thing is that, although Beauvoir is heavily celebrated and praised now, at the time her contemporary philosophers and critiques did not believe that she was adding any new opinion or real value to the discourse on feminism and that she still upheld male norms and values for women, which we know now is untrue. Beauvoir is, unfortunately, a case of an academic who did not receive the majority of acclaim when she was alive. At the time that Beauvoir wrote most of her works, France was still in an era of outdated politics and notions of manhood and womanhood. Beauvoir's work has not only inspired women, but has led to concrete legislative changes. Beauvoir has been a personal hero to countless of second and third wave feminist activists, studied in courses all over the world, and the second sex is still selling out in bookshops today. The latter is a personal anecdote as I had difficulty finding a copy of the book post-International Women's Day. But if that is not a true testament to the enormous legacy she leaves behind, I don't know what else could be. Beauvoir and her work helped support abortion laws in France. She supported the independence movement for Algeria and Hungary, and she also publicly condemned the Vietnam War. In the 60s and 70s, when the women's liberations movement was achieving momentum worldwide, it was Beauvoir's The Second Sex that was one of the widest distributed books. It was Beauvoir's work that was on the minds of millions of women who were marching to their streets, to the government buildings, to the society that was responsible for devaluing their worth. For that, Beauvoir will always remain 
an important figure in history. My critique on Beauvoir. Like most, if not all, activists and philosophers, I believe that Beauvoir had a fair share of strengths and shortcomings. In fact, the deeper I looked into Beauvoir's lives and stories, the more I became disillusioned of her title as a universal feminist icon. In the second sex, Beauvoir constantly notes the parallels between the struggles of women to black and indigenous people through colonization. This is not only accurate, but paints Beauvoir out to be rather enlightened on the matter of racism and racial oppression. However, this may not necessarily be the case in real life. Beauvoir has published and said a significant amount of problematic statements to the point it cannot be passed off as miscommunication, ignorance, or the overused excuse of it simply being a product of its time. If we were to forgive society for not allowing women to vote because it was just a product of its time, that would be outrageous and unjustified, and the same standards must be applied to Beauvoir. If we are to celebrate people as icons of a movement, then we must hold their accountability to the highest degree. And if we fail to do that, then we fail to marginalize people in the movement and isolate them further from what should be an inclusionary movement. One controversy surrounding Beauvoir was her activism to support Jamila Bupacha, a member of the Algerian independence movement who was raped and tortured by French soldiers for information. Bupacha's lawyer reached out to Beauvoir to help mount their statement and case against the French soldiers. Now, this is an extremely difficult topic to analyze because, on one hand, Beauvoir was a celebrated feminist figure and French woman, and so she certainly possessed a lot of power to influence the courts and general public. However, on the other hand, she was a white French woman with no direct affiliation with the Algerian independence movement. This could easily have been an appropriation where Western figures are often seen as the heroes or protectors or voices of minorities. Critiques of the time and the father of post-structuralism himself, Franz Fanon, was displeased with Beauvoir's interference and believed that the intellectual did not deserve a place in the struggle of minorities, and especially a minority that the intellectual such as Beauvoir did not belong to. In 1955, Beauvoir published Privileges, which was a collection of essays. In it, she mused how privileges enjoyed by the elites and upper-class people may be hidden or justified. This was a step in the right direction. It was a concrete proof that she was indeed reflective of not only the privileges she lacked, but also the ones that were bestowed upon her as an educated and famous white woman. I personally cannot in good faith and in solidarity with biracialized sisters call Beauvoir a personal hero or a role model. I can certainly appreciate her work to an effort to criticize society, men, and the creation of nonsensical gender roles and stereotypes that limit women, but I cannot and do not consider Beauvoir to be a true feminist. Now, I can already imagine a couple of you listeners rolling your eyes or fidgeting, but hear me out first and then decide. Let me tell you why, and you can decide for yourself what brand of feminism she was endorsing and how her words and actions as a prominent figure could lead to stereotypes of minorities. In America Day by Day, a book-slash-diary, and The Forces of Circumstance, an autobiography, both written by Beauvoir, she writes of her experiences traveling around America and Africa. She discusses learning about her white privilege, which I must note is rather late for such an academic and philosopher that examined all the nuances in society, and the similarities between the oppression of black people, Jewish people, and women. Beauvoir has been criticized for continuing and perpetuating French colonial lenses in the books and using extremely derogatory and false statements about women there, because yes, that is female empowerment. She wrote horrible things such as Tunisian women thirsting for the freedom of European fashion, end quote, 
and when encountering Muslim men that they were extremely lustful of white women and was enamored by black women who, start quote, reveals their shoulders and breasts, end quote. These statements are unacceptable and portray a more honest and clearly not heroic version of Beauvoir, who is a problematic woman who continued to enforce white colonial lenses to view non-white women and exotify their appearance and existence. It has also been stated that Beauvoir went around exploring black churches in Harlem, which is a common occurrence back then for white folks to tour around. Black spaces were commodities for white people to be fascinated by, and Beauvoir was guilty of committing the same acts as the paternalistic white men that degraded her work and beliefs. For all the effort into analyzing and rejecting traditional notions of female imperfections and limitations, Beauvoir was so blind to the own racial prejudice she possessed. This is certainly because she did not reflect on issues that were beyond the realm of factors that caused her oppression. Her brand of feminism did not cater or even ponder how versions of feminism were inaccessible to different female crowds, and that Western feminism was not superior, nor were Western women, in any shape, way, or form. Even going beyond all these problematic statements, if any thinker or activist or philosopher does not make the effort to address intersectionality, admit that certain forms of feminism are exclusionary, and work to educate themselves on any form of privilege they might possess, then they need to be held accountable for that. Beauvoir's book does not take into consideration how feminism could be achieved differently or be more difficult for a non-Western audience. That is an unacceptable failure on her part. Of course, we cannot expect a perfect piece of writing from any author, and it was never only on Beauvoir to create remedies for women, but when you are fighting for the quality of an entire gender, you must then also fight for every woman, and not just the ones that happen to look or talk like you. Beauvoir had somehow deluded herself into believing that African-American, African, and Middle Eastern women were jealous of the liberties Western females like her enjoyed and viewed these minority women through such sexual paternalistic lenses, which is the greatest irony. Feminism is not a movement where we create a hierarchy of deservingness. We have dealt with excuses far too many times, and now we must, if need be, be hypercritical about the information that we possess and share today, because it is these very misinformed ideas and stereotypes that harm us racialized sisters today. Especially considering contemporary feminism and the rise of the awareness of intersectionality in Western societies, it is quite clear that Beauvoir was not nearly as progressive as she was once praised to be. A trailblazer in her own right, Beauvoir was simply still a spokesperson for white feminism, and her brand of feminism did not extend to racial, religious, or sexual minorities. Therefore, as an Asian Canadian myself, I can only appreciate Beauvoir's work to a certain extent because her fight for women's rights did not include women like me. Now, you may feel free to disagree because this is also simply my opinion, but if you believe in true feminism, I hope you think about what I have said and discuss this with your feminist friends and family members. However, this can then be countered that if Beauvoir did not believe in a feminism that did not support all people identifying as women equally, then can she ever truly be considered a real feminist? By definition, feminism means that all women are equal to each other and equal to men and should not be discriminated against. I'm unsure about this matter, so I will leave this up to you to ponder. That being said, I still believe many of her works, including The Second Sex, deserve the praise and acclamation it has received for generations, even though I do not necessarily support Beauvoir herself.
I think it is still important to acknowledge the power and the truth Beauvoir has highlighted, which helped empower women across the globe and inspired them to continue their fight for equality. Sometimes, and as cliche as this might sound, artists and art can and have to be divided from their work so that the integrity and the truth of the art is not tarnished by the imperfections of the human being. If women like Beauvoir did not have the courage and strength to publish such work, then perhaps society today would not be as accepting or understanding of female empowerment and equality. While Beauvoir may have not fought for all women, she definitely did not fight against women. So that in and of itself is something to commemorate and honor. And to conclude, I would like to state that Beauvoir's work has been translated worldwide and has sold over millions of copies and inspired a whole generation of feminists who have continued to pave the way for women all around the globe. Beauvoir was clearly a complicated philosopher who worked tirelessly for the equality of Western females, but also reproduced the same old colonial notions of womanhood outside of Europe. She was and will always remain a champion of women's rights, and it is through her work that many queer theorists and activists were first able to break into the academic sphere. While Beauvoir is certainly flawed, her work and her legacy is a testament to her goodwill and love towards Western women. She may not have been equally kind and considerate of all women, but that doesn't mean her words and her works only empowered white women. The fact of the matter is, it is through philosophers and activists like her that women worldwide get to proudly declare themselves as feminists today, albeit with some backlash. That is all on today's podcast about Simone de Beauvoir. Thank you for joining me today, and I hope that you enjoy this session. Thanks again.